I think we all can fall into that trap of taking things for granted or forgetting to be grateful for everything that we have and who's given it to us. And possibly I think the danger of this is greatest at this time of year. We're told that Christmas is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. And I'm not going to sing it to you, don't worry about it. When our lives are are filled with big parties and expensive presents, with celebration and fun, with friendship and love. And yet, for some of us, the reality of Christmas in that whole season is far less than that. Christmas can be a difficult time because of the strain on our limited finances or the strain on our fragile relationships or the strain on our broken hearts. Feelings of loss, of loneliness, of sadness can actually intensify at this time of year because we think that everybody else is having such a great time. And when we're in that place, It's really easy to forget what we have and then instead focus on what we don't have. So this morning we're going to challenge some of those thoughts and feelings by looking at an amazing psalm, Psalm 103. Here, David encourages us not to forget all the amazing blessings that we have received from God. He wants our attitude to change so that we can thank God for all that He has done and praise Him for all that He is. So let's read Psalm 103. I'm going to read the whole psalm just now from verse 1 down to the end. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your heart, your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. 
and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you, his servants, who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Clearly, this psalm is a call to praise the Lord. To exalt, to magnify, to thank God for his greatness and his goodness. It's all about showing our appreciation of and gratitude for all that God is and all that he has done. And in this psalm, David called everybody to do it. Near the end of it, verse 20 and 21, he included all the inhabitants of heaven. Praise the Lord, you his angels. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts. Maybe you remember Isaiah when he saw the vision of the, the throne room of, of, of the Lord. He saw these flying seraphs who declared, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. But it's not just heaven that should praise God. David also spoke to the whole universe. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. The whole universe should praise the Lord. But David's focus in this psalm is not really heaven or earth's responsibility to praise the Lord. Rather, it's his own responsibility. So he started and he finished this psalm with these same words. Praise the Lord, O my soul. David was basically talking to himself here. I know some people say you shouldn't do that. But from the Bible, you're, you're, you're allowed to, okay? Praise the Lord, O my soul. He was telling himself that he should wholeheartedly praise the Lord. All my inmost being, praise the Lord. In effect, that when we read this psalm, we are doing the same. We are reading this psalm and we're encouraging ourselves to enthusiastically, to passionately praise the Lord. But why? Why should heaven and earth praise the Lord? Why should we praise the Lord? Well, one of the reasons is that this is our God-given responsibility. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this, In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ to the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glorious grace. God adopted us to the praise of his glorious grace. If we've trusted in Jesus, then God loved us, chose us, adopted us to magnify his name, to reveal his glory. This is our calling. We are saved 
to praise the Lord. But when we do this, also we are blessed. We are blessed when we praise. We all praise what we value, what we enjoy. And when we do that, we're not only expressing our enjoyment of that thing, we're also completing the enjoyment of it. That's why soccer fans or sports fans, they chant the name of their team or their favourite player. Or why parents love to show off photos of their children, especially their young children, Brand. (coughs) Or why when people fall in love, they can't help talking about them. I won't mention anybody's names there, Leona. Or when, peop- when someone gets a new car, or a new phone, or a new job, they just can't tell, help but tell other people about it. Now, people don't do this out of duty, do they? They don't do it because they have to do it. Neither do they do it, usually, because they want something in return. It's just that what we, we praise what we delight in. And because the delight in those things is incomplete until it's expressed in praise. I was telling the guys uh, one of our Bible studies about how I broke the the light in our ceiling when Robbie Keane scored a goal uh, against Germany in the World Cup a number of years ago. That was a number of years ago when you think of Robbie Keane. Because you just want to express it, don't you? Even if you're just watching on the TV, you still want to shout at the TV and, and express that, that joy. And it's the same with praising God. Praising God is not supposed to be a duty or a responsibility. It's supposed to be the expression of, the completion of our joy in the Lord. So Psalm 9 and 2 says, I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And we are really privileged, aren't we, in our church to have people who can help us to praise the Lord. And maybe who are, maybe some of us, some of them are a bit more expressive than, than we are in our praise, but we can enter into that through using their gifts. But we shouldn't just praise the Lord because we're saved for it. Or we're blessed by it. There's another reason. In the vision of the throne room of heaven, John saw 24 elders in the book of Revelation who declared this, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And then later in the next chapter, he saw hundreds of thousands of angels in a loud voice singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. So ultimately, we are supposed to praise the Lord Because we believe that God is so wonderful, so awesome, so glorious, that above anyone else, He is worthy of all our praise. 
And so David said here, in verse 2 in our psalm, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. That's ridiculous, isn't it, that we could forget the benefits that God has brought into our life. But we do. We forget who God is. We lose sight of what he has done. So David tells himself and us to remember all of the amazing things that God has done. So that we will recognize his worth and we will respond with praise. So what are some of the truths that we mustn't forget? Well, first of all, we mustn't forget how much we're loved by God. When we look up into the sky on a beautiful clear day, not like today, that blue sky just seems to go on forever, doesn't it? And then you look up at the sun and you can see a sun that is something like 93 million miles away. And then you go out on a clear night and when you look up at the stars and the galaxies, you're literally looking at something billions of miles away. These distances, they're so difficult for us to comprehend and yet, listen to what David says. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. That's how much God loves us. His love just towers over us. It goes on and on and on. It reaches from the heights of heaven all the way down to the earth. It means that we cannot fall so low in our lives that God's love can't reach us. I think that's why it's so difficult for us to comprehend it. Have you ever said to somebody, I just don't get God's love? I don't, I just, my mind just can't get it. It's unequaled in this world. It's so different from the small and the limited love that we are able to show to each other. It just blows our minds. That's actually what Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers when he wrote to them. In his letter he said this, I pray that you may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the all the measure of the fullness of God. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. To know something that you cannot fully know. But we're called to enter into it more and more and more. But God's love is not just unequaled. It's also unending. In our lives, we're used to things just lasting for a short time. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. Our lives are so short, aren't they? They're just gone in a flash. I hope it's not just me who thinks that last Christmas was just like a month ago. Not 12 months ago. Anybody feel like that? 
We are like those fragile grasses or wildflowers that just spring up and then they're gone. But God's love is completely different. Verse 17, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him. God's love is truly unending. The Bible tells us that we are loved in eternity past. Before the creation of the world, we were loved. And the Bible assures us that we will be, we will be loved for all eternity to come. From everlasting to everlasting. And so Paul wrote that amazing verse that John read to us already this morning. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God's love is unequaled in this world. God's love is unending in this world. But in those two verses, verse 11 and verse 17, this love is declared for those who fear Him. So does this mean that God only loves those who have always had a right respect and reverence for God? Should we read that and say, well, sometimes I don't fear the Lord, so I'm out of that. I've dropped out of God's love. Well, not at all. Verse 8, David quotes from the revelation that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai when he says that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. We deserve that anger because of our transgressions, because of our iniquities, because of our sins. Those three words that are again used in the psalm that we've seen before. And yet, the Lord is compassionate to those who deserve judgment. He is gracious to those who deserve condemnation. He is abounding in love to those who deserve to be separated from Him forever. So He does not love us as we deserve. Instead, as a father has compassion on his children, the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him, for He knows how we are formed. And he remembers that we are dust. And so because of his love, then secondly, we must not forget how fully we are redeemed. We need to remember the amazing mercy of God. Verse 9 and 10. That he will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Or repay us according to our iniquities. God didn't need to do this. Some people have this, this terrible attitude to think that they deserve God's forgiveness. God's grace. That God was obliged to come and to save us. But no, he didn't. He didn't need to do any of this. God has the right to accuse us because we are guilty. He has the right to be angry because we are rebellious. He has the right to reject us because we are sinners. 
He has the right to punish us because we have gone astray. And yet in His mercy, He chooses not to. Instead, He sent His Son to the cross for us in our place. And so if we've trusted in Christ, then we're declared not guilty because Jesus took our guilt. We've been brought into God's love because Jesus experienced God's wrath. We are accepted because He was forsaken. And we are forgiven because Jesus was punished. And this forgiveness is complete and total. David said that the Lord is the one who forgives all your sins. On the cross, Jesus paid for all of our sins. Our public and our private ones. The ones that we're aware of, as well as the ones that we're forgotten all about. The things that we did that we shouldn't have, as well as the things that we shouldn't have done, or that we should have done, but we didn't. But the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. So it doesn't matter who we are, or what we've done, or what we've failed to do. God's grace is sufficient for us. And through Christ, we've been completely forgiven. And we've been forgiven forever. Look at verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. This is an immeasurable distance. An absolutely immeasurable distance. If we travel east, we can keep on going and we never get there. If we travel west, in the opposite direction, we can keep on going but we never arrive. East and west are in completely opposite directions and they will never be brought together. It's an infinite distance. East and west will be infinitely separated. And this is what God has done with our sin. It's been completely and forever separated from us. Because of the sufficiency of the cross, our guilt will never be given back to us. It is gone and gone forever. That's actually the promise of this new covenant relationship that we have come into, that we've celebrated this morning in taking this bread and taking this cup. This is the promise. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That's in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12. Forgive their sins and remember their sins no more. We are fully redeemed. And this redemption brings so many blessings into our lives. So David said that God is the one who satisfies your desires with good things. Verse 5. The world gets excited about Christmas, doesn't it? Because of the presents and the parties and the dinners and the decorations. But ultimately those things will never satisfy our hearts. 
Everybody experiences a kind of anticlimax after Christmas because it kind of leaves us a little bit empty and looking for the next one. But God can satisfy our hearts. Our hearts were designed only to be satisfied with His love, His presence, and His grace. So Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says this, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And then it gives a reason. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. What's the secret of contentment? It's not having everything that we want. Instead, it's having God in our life. It's knowing the presence of God. That is the secret of contentment and satisfaction in our lives. So God will bless us with satisfaction. He'll also bless us with strength. Verse 5, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Now, that's not some oil of Yuli kind of pro- product that we're thinking about. So, we're not talking about the outside appearance. Sorry, everybody. But it does say that it doesn't matter how strong or energetic we are this morning. Sooner or later, we come to the end of our resources. But God is able to do immeasurably more than we all we can ask or imagine. God can give us the strength to keep on going right throughout our lives. And into eternity. God is the one who gives us that renewed strength. And that power can even overcome the weakness of our bodies. The Lord is the one, verse 3, who heals all your diseases. And many of us here today can praise God for the experience of God's healing power in our lives. But of course, some people take that verse and they take it and say, well, that means that because Jesus and the apostles healed lots and lots of illnesses and because the Bible tells us to pray for healing when we are sick, then that means that as Christians, we should never be sick. That we should never suffer illness. That we should never suffer any disease. That we should never suffer any limitation, any weakness. That we should never grow old. We should never need glasses. Our hair never turns grey or falls out or any of those stuff. (laughs) Anybody experience life like that? No? No takers? Nobody wants to come up in Exhibit A? Yeah, Tommy, right. (laughs) We don't experience that, do we? And we don't see that in other people. We still experience the horrors of sickness and disease and illness. And if we live long enough, all our bodies will get frail and wear out and we will die. So how is David able to say, who heals all our diseases? Well, look at the verse 4. He says, the Lord is also the one who redeems your life from the pit. What's the pit? Well, that's a synonym for death. God is the one who redeems us from death. I don't know what David was thinking about when he was writing that. Maybe he was thinking about rescue from from physical death. You know, being protected from his enemies. But for us, when we read that, we know the deeper meaning of that. That the greatest danger that we face is not the physical death, but it's the spiritual death. It's the eternal death. 
And this is what Jesus has redeemed us from. So listen listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 11, verse 25 and verse 26. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. This is the eternal life that we have. It's not a fullness of life here on earth that will go on forever. No, it's not. It is the fact that one day, one day, we will stand before God and we will be fully healed. And we will have a life that will be set free from all of the pains, all of the illnesses, all of the limitations of life on earth. We look forward to the day when that will happen. But we can celebrate it as if it already has happened. Because it's guaranteed by the blood of Jesus. And so, finally, even in the darkest of days, we can remember that God is in control. Verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. His kingdom rules over all. Doesn't look like that, does it, when we look out in the world today? And it doesn't look like that in our lives either sometimes because we could be suffering from injustice or oppression or persecution from those around us. But God is in control. And we can rest in the knowledge that verse 6 says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. One day, God's going to sort out this world. One day, all of the injustice will be wiped out. One day all of the oppressed will be set free. One day God will right every wrong and he'll lift up his people. And so as Revelation 21 says, one day God will wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And we look forward to that day, don't we? So let's not forget what God has done for us. He said, keep telling ourselves how much we are loved, how fully we are redeemed, how abundantly we are blessed, and how amazing it is that God is in control. If we do that, then we're not going to take things for granted. And we will not spend this Christmas focused on all the things that we don't have. Instead, we'll be so amazed by what God has given us that we will spend Christmas praising Him because He alone is worthy.